Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the role of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you enjoy this show, please tell a friend or colleague about it and help spread the word. If you want to also search for other episodes or learn about some of the other resources that are available to you, head over to theconsumervc.com. Thank you, Katie Shea, for introducing me to today's guest, Helene Knapp founder and CEO of City Row. City Row is a boutique fitness studio that started in New York City, now it's nationwide, and specializes in a total body, high-intensity, low-impact workout using a water-based rowing machine and strength training exercises. They have since launched City Row Go, taking that boutique rowing experience into your home with on-demand classes. I had such a blast chatting with Helene. This was such a fun and engaging conversation about starting a studio business and then expanding it to an in-home SaaS business. It was really fascinating. I really enjoyed chatting with her about her story. Without further ado, here's Helene. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Awesome, Mike. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. Thanks so much for taking the time. I would love to start before you became an entrepreneur. Like, talk to me a little bit about your experience at Olapic and Buddy Media helped shape you as a founder. It shaped me a lot, actually. So before even that, I was working in publishing, which was a super archaic industry. And it was so refreshing for me to join the team at Buddy Media, where it was fast-paced and cutting-edge. Super innovative, great team, great culture, a lot of like-minded people. So I really made my like next generation of friends there, so to speak, which is super important. I would say I also made the first slew of you know investor contacts while working there. I met my co-founder. So from a culture and like growing my personal career, it was exponential because I started as a project manager and got to have a new job every three months. And by the end, I was running accounts and enterprise sales, pitching to the CMO of Starwood and Pepsi, and just unbelievably amazing experiences that you really can't get unless you're at a fast-growing tech company. So that was unbelievable in and of itself. And then I think I really gained a lot of confidence just with that kind of trajectory. You can imagine going from an assistant in publishing to like, oh my God, they want my opinion on something, or oh my God, I just talked to a client. That's pretty cool, right? So it was like a really fast like rocket ship. That was fantastic. I think from a launching your own company perspective, it was even more eye-opening. I learned the power of marketing while working at Buddy Media, and I learned the power of a beautiful product while working at Olapic. And it would be interesting to compare the two in the other areas. For instance, Buddy Media had the best marketing of any company I've ever met in my whole life, and it was a B2B software company. It was... I stand in awe to this day. Olapic had, and I fell in love with Olapic because of its technology. I remember thinking, oh my God, like I'm watching this thing work and it is on every single product detail page and it literally increases conversions. This is like candy to a baby. Like I was going to run client services, but I also was like one of the top salespeople just for fun. Seriously. It was just like, it made so much sense to me as a marketer and as a salesperson and as someone who wanted to like see success for companies, it just made a ton of sense. However, they did not have the kind of marketing or close to it that Buddy Media had. So I kind of watched these two different worlds and it really did inform how I started City Row as a product first company, knowing that once we got the product right, 
I wanted to do marketing really, really, really well. No, that's great. And thank you for sharing in terms of how those two experiences really helped you grow in terms of figuring out, okay, when I do want to become an entrepreneur, how should I approach both the product and the sales piece? Because both are super, super important and critical. So talk to me a little bit about like the early days of City Row and, and I guess your initial maybe attraction to fitness and athletics. Sure. So my initial attraction to working out in general started in the later days of college. I worked, went to the University of Michigan and finally woke up one day and I was like, I can't drink seven nights a week. Interesting. What else should I do? So you know, I was a little bit of a heavier kid growing up and college didn't help with that. So I finally hit a moment where I started really appreciating working out, being healthy, and I got a trainer. And that really continued after college, particularly when I had a nine to five. I worked at Conde Nast right? You couldn't stay past five because they didn't want to pay you overtime. So I got to go to the gym after work and then cook healthy meals. And I really fell in love with the way my body felt in, in movement. And I would always try and push a little bit further. I remember thinking like, okay, I want to be fit. Well, fit people run. So I'm going to start running. And how far can I run? And can I work my way up to five miles? And like, I definitely got to five miles and sometimes I got to six, but let me tell you my whole body hurt afterwards. And so I was starting to like kind of learn the limitations of my body and working out and then when I started working in high growth, you know, fast paced startups, there was no such thing as a nine to five. I was working until seven, eight, nine o'clock at night and there was endless amounts of opportunity. So I was not going to the gym after work. And so that's when boutique fitness really entered my life. And I felt fast and hard for it for a lot of the reasons that most of America felt fast and hard for it. You're held accountable. There's a great community. It can be social. Someone else is telling you what to do, but there are people around you. You can't, you can't stop. You're going to push yourself so much further. And I felt fast and hard for it. It was a huge part of my life. And it was an injury actually that forced me to stop what I was doing and go and find a low impact workout. And that's when I initially first found City Row. I found the idea for City Row and realizing that rowing was this unsung hero, but had an opportunity to be really powerful in the market. So why, I guess, when you were thinking about different low impact workouts, what gravitated you towards rowing about like the idea or was it so in terms of your founding for City Row, you felt like it was more of an opportunity or did you actually love, love rowing? If we're having an honest conversation, Mike, nothing appealed to me about rowing. <laughs> nothing. My initial instinct was swipe left. That thing is ugly. I'm serious. Like, you know, eight, nine years ago, when you think of rowing, you think of a CrossFit dude in a Winklevoss twin. You do not picture me and my friends in beautiful ponytails, what I hope to be beautiful ponytails, and fancy leggings. I'm a realist, my friend. I was like, no way. But then you look at the other low impact, high intensity workouts, and it's like swimming, never to swim. That's disgusting. And also, that feels like a hair nightmare that I want to get involved with. Just a goal nightmare. Couldn't even look at it. And then cross country skiing is really up there as well not accessible. So it was really a process of elimination and then back to the initial elimination where I was like, okay, let me explore this thing a little further. And the more I read about it, the more I realized how good it was for you. And it didn't just torch calories, but it was this low impact thing that I needed. It was really compact. It was perfect for a HIIT workout, which is what I've always wanted as someone who wanted to torch calories and lose weight is a HIIT workout. So it really wasn't that I personally fell in love with sitting on a rowing machine. It was that I needed something that did not exist. I needed that high intensity workout and that group camaraderie that I was really falling, falling in love with as a consumer. But I needed something that was a little bit more intelligently designed and was going to keep my body safe while I could do all of these unbelievably fun workouts 
it was just rooted in something a little bit smarter. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I actually love swimming. So I'm a little bit hurt by that you, that you don't okay. like learning, but it's all right. It's all right. We can get past this, Mike. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think you raised a good point though about low impact workouts, cross country skiing and, and swimming. Even swimming, you have to go to a pool. There's a lot of friction there. It's not something you can just, you know, go and hop in the pool or in the backyard and, and then as well as they need to dry off. There's a lot of friction there in terms of swimming. So I understand as well, if you have a rower, for example, it's of course it's, it's expensive, but once you have it, it's actually very, it's like the Peloton. You can hop on it at your convenience. Totally. And I think that the other element that really resonated for me was when I realized that I had an injury, right? That kind of had me just like hard stop and see what was going on. I also took a look at the market and realized that, you know, 20 years ago, we were talking about how important exercise is for you. Is it a trend? Is it here to stay? Is it just a fad, right? How crazy is, you know, Richard Simmons and Jane Fonda? Are they just, you know, one of a kind and this is gonna, thing is gonna go away? We quickly answered the question, no, exercise is here to stay for legitimately every reason possible, right? Literally every reason, everybody needs to move. And so there's lots of movements that are getting people off the couch to doing something, right? And then people that were doing a little bit something or doing a little something more, go from twice a week to three times a week to four times a week. And now it's like, move your body every day, right? But if we're going to be moving our bodies every day and we're going to be doing it for more days of the week, right? But also for more years of our lives, we're starting younger. People are not stopping when they have kids, right? There's no excuse for the dad bod anymore. People are working out well into their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. My grandmother's 85 and she does Pilates twice a week. To me, she's sitting on a chair, but she calls it Pilates and I'm very happy for her. And she looks adorable in her athletic wear. So if you're going to do that, right, that's a lot more hours in our lives that we're going to be moving. We got to be a little bit smarter about it. So that was the second thing that really clicked for me was if we're going to be active for life, we got to be smarter today in our 20s and 30s. We don't have to sacrifice fun because don't make it really fun and high energy and really intense. But we got to be a little smarter about how we treat our knees and our hips and our shoulders and our ankles. Totally. That's another really great point. It's just how you're thinking about the trend on a macro scale, which is crazy that even call exercises a trend, to be honest, because it's something that we have to do every day. It's part of our lives. We have to move, as you say, which is totally true. So, okay, what were the biggest hurdles that you had to go through when you decided, okay, I'm going to found this company. I'm going to focus on rowing machines. What were some of the biggest hurdles you had to go through? So someone asked me this recently and there was never one particular moment where I was like, I'm starting the company now. It was a series of decisions. A big mentor of mine, his name is Dan Reich. He's a serial entrepreneur. I was like, Dan, how do I start a company? He said, just keep making decisions to move the company forward. And that's what I did in 2013. So there were obstacles at every point, you know, First being that I am not a fitness professional at all, and I never want to be. I taught one class once and no one ever came back. That's real data, Mike. It's real, it's real data. So I think I realized pretty early on that it was going to be a constant uh, set of obstacles. You know, in the really early days, it was, okay, well, my trainer was in, now trainer's out. And okay, we just, you know, we got our name Row NYC. Oh, we got a cease and desist from a nonprofit, so we got to change our name. Oh, we lost this real estate. We lost this real estate. We lost this real estate. Oh, this real estate will take us, but they're crazy. So are you going to do it or not, right? And that just, that really continued throughout every single month of the entire company. And I think it's still, it's still happening today, Mike. No, that's really helpful. So how did you go about, when you thought about maybe your model for your studio, I know you decided on a franchise model. What were the kind of like steps and what was the reason why you wanted to go that type of business model? It actually was not the initial plan. 
So when I launched the company in 2013, 2014, it was, one, let's just see if this thing works, right? Let's see if this product works and let's put sexy marketing on it. So then we, it worked, surprise. And then we opened our second location in 2016. And then it was really from there that I had to take a step back and say, okay, how are we going to expand this company, right? We are the leaders in our category. We're this media darling. We're punching well above our weight class as a brand, but we have two studios in New York. Like we got to grow. Come on. We're getting copycats. They made me very angry. It's the nicest form of flattery. I'm not there yet. I'm still not there yet. And so for me, we actually were strongly considering open, opening locations in Boston and DC. And we actually had LOIs out for two pieces of real estate, letter of intent to a landlord saying, hey, we're interested in moving forward together. But I could not get over one fact. And that was how am I going to pay a general manager of a small boutique fitness studio, local in these markets, enough to want to wake up at 4.30 in the morning, we had a VIP coming in from the 6 a.m. And they're going to voluntarily go get the magic eraser from the downstairs to scuff the walls, to re, you know remove the scuff from the walls. And I could not get over that because I knew our unit economics and we couldn't pay someone that much money. So then I started exploring, well, how do you really incentivize someone, right? Because at the end of the day, like I you know worked at salesforce.com for I think six weeks after Buddy Media sold to them. But I like just fell in love with that idea that like when the company wins, we all win. And so very much wanted to explore if there were other ways to grow the brand where we could really share the growth. And I explored licensing models. I explored like an Outback Steakhouse model where you buy into the unit from the GM and nothing was really clicking. And I had a folder in my Gmail with 217 unresponded emails called, you know, franchising. And people had written to me over the years, I'd love to franchise this business. I'll bring it to San Diego. Can I bring it to Vancouver? What about, you know, X, Y, and Z city that I haven't really heard of? Or Nashville, Dallas, Chicago, San Francisco. And within those, there were a couple of development companies. So franchise development companies want to partner with you and help you really blow it out of the water. Took a couple of those calls just to explore. And I was like, kind of turned off by them, frankly. But then through a friend of mine, I got introduced to my partner out of Ann Arbor, who was my partner today. And they just had a different approach to franchising that I really liked. They were a bit more in the luxury space, fellow Michigan grads. And I saw a really cool opportunity to let people be a part of City Rose growth and build community because that's what this is all about. We're building communities and we're also really helping people. So it was this idea that, okay, we can find really great people who are like me, right? Maybe they, they're, they've done well professionally, but they have a passion for fitness and maybe they've got some golden handcuffs or maybe they're ready for that next career and let them experience the joy that people feel and the changes that they see and the amazing way that City Road could make them feel in the same way that we had. And I just got one of those emails from my Plainview Long Island franchisee forward me email from one of her clients. She's like, this is why we're here, right? And I was like, basically in tears, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing that part of the story. We haven't really explored yet on the show the franchisee model at all. And so we'd love to know just how it actually works with the relationship between you and the franchisee, what you provide, what they provide, and just a little bit more into the actual business model there. That'd be great. Sure. So, I mean, it's basically a marriage. You're just marrying all these people across the country. It's, no, it really, it's a very, very intense partnership. And if 2020 taught us anything, it's, you know, putting those relationships to the test. And I'm, it hasn't been easy, but I'm lucky that I have such great franchisees because you have to weather storms together. And we were, you know, hit pretty hard in, in 2020. Now, 
The basic relationship is, hey, we're going to do this together. We're going to trust each other. I'm going to trust you that you are going to uphold our brand standards, respect the product, and build a community and a studio and represent the brand in the best possible way. And you are trusting in me that we are going to provide you with what you need to do that from a brand marks perspective, from a marketing perspective, from a product perspective. We provide monthly marketing materials. We provide daily classes for everybody to teach. Everybody across the country takes the exact same class every day. No matter if you're in Plainview, Long Island or Atlanta or Boca, you're taking the exact same class. So there's a lot of support that the franchisor, which is us at the corporate level, provide to the franchisees. And in turn, we trust them that they're going to follow the process, basically. And that is a very, very, very unique relationship that I've learned a lot about. And it all comes back to the franchisees. No, that's really helpful. And it's really also interesting too, in terms of the, uh, on the programming side of things and how it's the exact same class at, at each location. When you're thinking about opening new locations, how do you think about even choosing markets to go in or if franchisees or potential franchisees reach out to you and want to start a franchise of City Row in that market? What should I guess your thought process? It's a two-way street. One, we do have a top list of markets that we're going after that we know the brand would do well in. And at the same time, we do have a forum where people can come to us and say, hey, I think this would do really well in Boca Raton. Or, hey, I think this would do really, really well in the suburbs of Dallas, right? And then it's a, you know, we kind of evaluate the opportunity. We look at real estate properties together. We look at the, a lot of demographic work. And this is where my franchising partner that has like hundreds of years of experience between them all, we lean on them to help make those decisions because I'm new at this. I'm the new kid in franchising. I feel like I got a quick PhD, but I still am not the expert in the room when it comes to it. So it, this is like a bigger lesson and surround yourself with people that are much smarter than you. Totally. Absolutely. And thanks for sharing that. So I also would love to talk about, which I find really fascinating, the City Row Go and you becoming a software business. What inspired you? Talk to me a little bit about City Row Go and why you decided to really essentially also become a software company. Yeah. I love to talk about this, Mike. So it's really interesting. Obviously, you know, I started City Row as a studio business. And then to me, it was a very natural progression to bring that at home. I am a very techie person and I love this industry, this category so much that I started watching that all of a sudden there was a boom in people being able to work out at home again. And again, I think this comes back to macro trends, Mike, in that people are not giving up on working out in great ways just because they can't physically get there. And people are not able to physically get there for a lot of reasons. One, they've got a weird schedule. Two, they have a kid, right? You can't leave the kid at home by itself, apparently, right? You have to work out while the kid is sleeping or while someone else is watching the kid. So all of a sudden, there's this whole new demographic of people that are not saying, okay, I'll deal with something mediocre. They're like, no, I want something better. And so brands are seeing an opportunity to, okay, you can't get the studio. Like you can still be a part of our community. And I saw that opportunity in 2016 when we started seeing a couple of big names come out there. And I thought to myself, you know, I didn't start this company to just open brick and mortar studios, right? I started City Row because I knew there had to be a better and a smarter way to work out. We're not limited by one modality of working out or one, you know, category. In studio fitness is one category where people consume fitness, but there's another category, which is growing, right? It's actually still pretty tiny compared to the little working out in studio, like very tiny, but it's growing. And I was like, 
I think that there, this is going to be a hot category long-term. We as a brand feel it's very important to meet the customers where they are. And we're already meeting them in studios, which is great, but we also can meet them at home. And we want to be able to provide an opportunity for people that need a better and smarter way to work out to do so. So I thought to myself, what we can do with a rower at home in 20 or 30 minutes is going to deliver crazy results. And it can also stand up in the corner of your room. So let's start exploring that. And Given my deep roots in tech, I was a part of two SaaS exits before I started this brick and mortar rowing company. I actually felt really comfortable there. So I went to my manufacturer. I said, hey, do you want to be a part of this story with us? And in, in which case, do you want to be the seed funding for City Row Go? They said, yes. We hired an agency. We started building an app. We started working with our manufacturer on our first machine. And we launched our MVP of the app in April of 2018 and our first rower a few months later, all gathering information and testing for the launch that we had this past fall. Because I very much believe in listening, listening to consumers and in the field R&D. So it was an unbelievable journey. But frankly, I you know felt pretty comfortable there because that was a little bit of my bread and butter from before I started the company. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I imagine in terms of just also timing due to, you know, COVID, it's also interesting too, because I'd imagine that in terms of sales wise or interest in terms of working from home, since we're all stuck at home, I'm in LA and I'm certainly stuck at home, but would love to also, you know, talk a little bit about COVID and maybe how that maybe has pitted or shifted some of just how you think about City Row, if you don't mind. Absolutely. You know, it's been a crazy year and obviously COVID has had a massive impact on all aspects of City Row, which I'm happy to dig into specifically, but at a macro level, and I was just talking to my co-founder Ashley about this, it really hasn't changed our approach to fitness because if anything, COVID exacerbated some trends, right? Before this, we were seeing boutiques growing and big box gyms really hurting, right? The traditional big box gyms were having a real real trouble. And so COVID is facilitating those closures, right? The really, you know, low price point gyms are going to be fine in this. 10 bucks a month, who pays any attention to it? And boutiques are really the places where people want to go and build community. So we feel pretty strong about our position there. I'm very lucky that I created a modality where no one is sharing any equipment and you stay in your own place the whole time. That was pure luck though, Mike. And then on the digital side of things, Obviously, we saw some huge tailwinds behind that. But you have to understand, those tailwinds have been there for a long time. And they were just getting off the ground. So what we saw this year is the beginning of something that had started many, many, many years ago. And COVID just threw some fluid on the flame. And I think we're going to continue to see it back to those macro trends of people are going to start moving more. So if there's one thing that I'm taking out of COVID, it's that our society is pretty unhealthy. And people need to actually focus a lot more on their health and wellness. So I'm hopeful that we are going to be welcoming in millions of people into the fitness world that had never been here before, into both in studios and online. And that's going to fuel adoption for studios, right? People don't know what to do at home. And at home, people are afraid to work out in the studio and all the pieces in between. So I think it's been obviously very challenging for our studios nationwide this year. Really, really, really hard. I would have never dreamed this in a million years, right? Ever. But I think that the spotlight that this has put on our society to be healthier is going to actually pay back in dividends over time. We just have to get there. Totally. I think what's most interesting as well is, as you say, bring more and more people into fitness. And I think when you're starting to get into fitness and maybe not want to start, I know when I started in fitness, I would go into a gym and be like, okay, what do I do? Do I go and try to hit some weights? Do I go on the treadmill? What do I do? But I think in these small studios that is very curated, right? It's an actual 
actual class, its group, then you kind of, you don't even have to think about it. It's already there. Same with, you know, City Row Go. I'm looking right now as my Peloton. It's similar in terms of concept in that you attend a class and you just go, you start working out, you don't have to think about it. So I totally understand in terms of why someone who is newly introduced into fitness, why they would choose to go into a City Row, for example, as opposed to a major gym. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the reasons that we you decided to move quickly into digital is that we have a pillar of accessibility and scalability, meaning that we want City Road to be a place where anyone of any fitness level can come and feel welcome and can get a great workout and leave feeling strong and empowered. It doesn't matter if you're a triathlete or this is your first time working out in two decades, you're going to be able to go in there, push yourself to your own limits and leave feeling really inspired, right? That, that That's our goal. And I think that as we start to welcome more and more people into the city road community, whether that be in studios or at home, COVID is going to help that because we need to be a little bit healthier as a society. Totally agree. Totally agree. I would love to discuss your fundraising process and just how you approached fundraising from the very beginning and the reasons why you also chose to fundraise. So when I first launched the company, I needed to build out a physical location. So I needed some money and I come from the tech world. so. I was like, well, I'm just going to raise money. And I was like, talk to my friend, Dan. I was like, how do you price this? He's like, it's really what people are, gonna, are willing to pay for it. So I threw a number at the wall. I raised 250K from friends and family. And after that, when we needed money, it really didn't feel like it was time to do any kind of price round. We were always moving a million miles a minute. There was never time to put a deck together. And so I moved pretty quickly on doing a bunch of convertible notes over the years. And that's how I raised money for probably the next five years with a series of convertible notes. Super easy, friends and family, great angels over the years. And I took a lot of money that way. That's how we built the company for years and years and years. That and strategic partnerships, their manufacturer for many years. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. What would you say was the biggest hangup from investors or or the biggest hurdle to fundraising? So in the, you know, I think for any company, it's about finding the right people and not everyone is going to be right for you. So I think it's less about what the investors and hurdles are and more about getting comfortable with people saying no to you and realizing that that's okay. Like not everyone is right to be an investor of your company for a million different reasons. And for the most part, people were pretty excited about it. I mean, I had to find out who, what my profile was, right? I do really well with people that are passionate about health and wellness and that are probably playing there themselves or, or all their family members are. Um, I do really well with, you know, um, people in the finance and banking world because they've seen the trajectory of this category over many, many, many years. And, you know, it's just now that I'm embarking on our first large fundraising round going out for institutional capital. And I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, we've been here for so long and I have so many great friends who've gone through this that I feel pretty prepared about what's going to come out. Now, I know we're not going to be right for everyone. And I think that's going to be pretty hard because from what I understand, investors like to put people into buckets, right? Oh, you're the blank of blank. You're the blank of this and the blank of that. And I like to kind of turn everything on its head entirely. And this is kind of like we're marrying a soul cycle or an orange theory with the Peloton, right? Like I'm totally breaking the fact that you have to be in one category or the other. I believe that a strong brand should play in the distribution channels where their customers are. Just like you're going to be advertising on Facebook and Google, we're going to be meeting you in studios and at home. So if somebody doesn't believe that, then they're probably not the right investor for me. And you should say no right away. 
that's a very good point in terms of thinking about it from both sides and not being labeled into one bucket and making sure also the folks that you're seeking investment from are also aligned with that because those are two major part of your businesses and you started out as a studio and now you're going into at home, which is very, very cool. And I guess like also like the classic line is of course, people invest in what they know. So it makes sense in terms of why folks that maybe invest or focus on the fitness space might be more inclined to invest in City Row. So that's cool. What's one thing that you would change about the fundraising process? I think there's a stigma around it. And I think that the actual act of fundraising plays well to a certain subset of founders and CEOs. I think uh, I'll speak for myself that I'm a really, really, really good operator and leader. And I'm actually fairly humble. I'm a humble leader, right? I'm really fucking hungry and I like to win, but I'm pretty humble. So that's something that, you know, I got to go out and start beating my chest in a way that feels pretty inauthentic to me. So I don't particularly like that element of it, that I think people that are a little bit more boisterous in being able to say a lot of things all the time might be able to sell in a lot more money than they actually can or should, right? There's a lot of really overvalued companies out there because there's potentially great leaders who are really good fundraisers. So I wish that there was a way to kind of cut through the clutter of figuring out the great founders and the great operators and the great people that are growing companies and kind of wipe away the other bullshit. And I wish that there wasn't so much of a dance. I wish it was a little bit more of a two-way street. That's how I'm approaching this round. If you are not interested in me, I'm not interested in you. And I, I wish that there was a little bit more equality there. But I think that it, the categories, you know, seeing a lot of reform, they're obviously a lot more emphasis on minority represented, you know, people in leadership and CEOs and founders. And I'm pretty excited for where it's going to go. And I'm very excited to, to bring on board a new partner in City Road this year. That's awesome. And I very much agree in terms of that it can be a bit of a dance and that, you know, folks that kind of pout their chest might be able to fundraise more and might not get called on, you know, maybe if it's exaggeration or in terms of, you know, maybe they actually don't need to raise that much money or what have you. So yeah, I completely agree. What's one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? Personally, I read a book recommended to me called The Four Agreements. And it basically tells you to try your best to not take things personally and not to make assumptions. Like really, really basic life things that we can all get really caught up in. And I'm very guilty of making assumptions all the time and, you know, taking a lot of things personally. And this was pretty eye-opening on a, on a personal level. Professionally, I have so many, Mike. I'm going to do two. I recently reread Shoe Dog and I had read it a while, years ago and it just strikes chords every time. And then I'm a big Jim Collins fan. I would say Good to Great is probably the number one business book I recommend to everyone. I give it to most, most of my executives when they start. And I have been known to quote it in meetings, much to my executive team's chagrin. That's awesome. That's awesome. I laugh because of Shoe Dog. I think Shoe Dog comes up on this show so many times. We have a book list and I think we have like seven to 10 guests recommend Shoe Dog and there's only been like 100 episodes. So that's great. I don't think The Four Agreements though has appeared on the list. So excited to add that. And of course, good to great. I know other folks have also vouched for that in terms of how impactful that was for them. So that's, yeah, all terrific choices. What would you say, what's the best piece of advice that you've received? Jump in, but the water's really cold. I like that. I like that. And what would you say is one piece of advice that you have for founders that are currently, you know, founding business might be in the early stages? Just have faith. You know, they, they've already jumped in and they've realized the water is very cold. So I think it's all about resiliency and digging deep and figuring out what they need to keep going, right? Confronting brutal facts 
putting my friend Jim there and just continuing to innovate and problem solve and surround yourself with people with complementary skill sets. But if they've already realized the water's really cold and they're still sticking around, then they probably have what it takes. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. And my final question to you, do you now enjoy rowing? I love it. I love it. Indoor rowing, Mike. I'm not outdoor (laughs) rowing. Big fan of indoor rowing. Big fan. But not for long distances. Just, you know, part of the hit workout. Totally. So what's the ideal time? Is it like a 20 minute workout? Is that your favorite? I mean, our studio classes are 50 minutes, 50 minutes back and forth, growing and strength training, you're lifting weights. They're the most fun. I miss them so much now that we're still in quarantine. But when I'm at home, it's a 30 minute class. And I hope to God that I could still do a 50 minute class when this whole thing is over because I haven't done one in a while, Mike. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. That's great. Well, Helene, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Mike. This is great. And there you have it. I really hope you enjoyed that one. That one was really, really fun. Thanks, Helene, again for coming on the show. Highly recommend following Helene on Twitter at Helene Knapp. You're also welcome to follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. For all episodes, please visit theconsumervc.com. Thanks again for listening, folks. (laughs) 